Welcome to Purpose 360. I'm Carol Cohn, and today more than ever before, companies, brands, and their partners need to stand for something beyond the bottom line. I've created this program to provide insights and ideas to share with you so that you can apply them to your work the very next day. The goal here is to up-level your purpose and to benefit companies and society. So please join us. Today, we're going to talk about one of the biggest innovations in business, the B Corp movement. It may be one of the most important innovations in business today. The B Corp movement is about creating a new kind of company that has a triple bottom line. It has a bottom line that supports people, planet, and profits, and it's baked into its DNA. We're going to talk to Chris Marquis, who is a PhD professor. He has studied business and entrepreneurship, and he is perhaps the foremost expert on the B Corp movement. Chris in 2010 was approached by a student in his class about social entrepreneurs. And the student said, hey, do you know about the B Corp movement? And Chris, eh, he really said, I don't. And he went and he studied it and he got hooked. Today, there's over 3,500 B Corps around the globe, over 50% outside the U.S., but they have one common goal, remaking capitalism to be fairer, to be more just, to be more inclusive, and as well to inspire innovation. So let's get into it. Welcome, Chris. Wow, what an introduction. Thank you so much, Carol. It's really such a delight uh, to be here and really looking forward to talking to you. It's going to be great because you don't have to convince me. We just want to convince our listeners. Right. Chris, in addition to all of his um, his cases, his courses, he has dozens and dozens of recognitions and awards, but he has something really exciting coming up. He has a book coming out called Better Business, How the B Corp Movement is Remaking Capitalism. It's a compelling look at the B Corp movement and why socially and environmentally responsible companies are vital for everyone's future. And it's coming out on a very special day. Uh, Chris, can you talk about why September 13th is the launch day for your book? Sure thing. So September 13th, 1970 uh, is when a very important, influential uh, essay appeared in the New York Times Magazine. It was by Milton Friedman called The Social Responsibility of Corporations is to Increase Profits, which I hope uh, sounds like a shocking phrase to everyone on this, uh, <laughs> this, uh, uh, this podcast. I recently re-read, re-read, read the article, and he says things like companies that promote diversity, companies that try to do well in their community are just basically... Um, suckers for, for, for liberal discourse and that they should forget about all those things and just focus on the shareholders. You know, this essay, you know, set off, you know, it sort of sounds like just some academic writing, uh, but it set off a, really a sea change in corporate governance and the priorities of corporate America. 
you know, before then, uh, before the 1970s, companies were much more community focused, focused on their employees, people had good pensions. Uh, and since then, uh, you know, companies have really focused a lot on shareholders primarily. And 50 years later, 2020, so the 50th anniversary of this, you know, I'm hoping that when with this book and many other people are doing, it helps uh, reorient capitalism to something that's much more stakeholder driven, not shareholder driven. And, and I can feel for you, Chris, because when I started linking companies and social issues in 1983, um, nobody believed me. I mean, American Express did, but nobody else did. And trying to create a movement, which is what the B Corp um, movement is trying to do. Um, all the B Corp entities and B Lab, um, it's not easy. And you toil for, you know, months and years and such. Then all of a sudden, to your point in, your, in, in the introduction to your book, you say, zeitgeist shifts. And so um, I, I want to give a little bit more of an introduction about the B Corp movement, and then we're going to really dive in. I'd also like to say that everyone listening has to buy this book. Um, Jerry Greenfield is one of the co-founders of Ben and Jerry's, and, and I met both Ben and Jerry um, when I was part of the Social Venture Network years ago. Um, Better Business is the book to read if you want to put values and purpose at the center of your company. It's an inspiring book with great insights to share. And then one of my favorites Patagonia, Rose Macario, who unfortunately is leaving, um, but she has done such wonderful, wonderful work at Patagonia. She said, better business is an important blueprint for how businesses can and should be both successful and a force for good. So the B Corp movement, um, it's not small. Um, I went on their website last night preparing for this. There's over 3,000 469 companies that have become certified in 150 industries in 74 countries around the globe. And I think that, Chris, you, you point out in your writing that it's not just the U.S. at all. The 50 percent are outside the U.S. And I love it that the B Corp folks say they have one unifying goal. I'd also like to say in transparency to our listeners that when I was at Edelman running their business plus social purpose practice, we got contacted by the folks at B-Lab and they said, well, we are going to now register in Delaware. And for all of those in the corporate world know that Delaware, when you register there, that means that you have been accepted. And they were very excited about it. And it was a small piece of business, but I knew how important it was. I had to convince Richard Edelman it was important and the financial services team. Um, but it was a phenomenal launch. And I think it was one of those seminal tipping points where the B Corp movement was getting another step along the way to being mainstream. So why don't we get into this? Let's just get into, to, um, Chris, just a little bit about your background and how did you get fascinated about social enterprise and different forms of capitalism? Yeah, sure. So, so as you mentioned, uh, Carol, for 10 years before Cornell, I was at Harvard Business School. And I think a lot of the influence to me on my social focus came from uh, my time there. You know, there was a vibrant social enterprise initiative headed by sort of both of our friends, Cash Rangan and, and Dutch Leonard, uh, Jim Austin early on, who I'm sure you knew, uh, you knew well. 
And have, having that group there that really was able to, you know, offer classes, get students interested in social issues was something that I gravitated to and learned a lot from. Uh, so I started teaching a class, uh, Commerce and Society. Uh, it was a ca- class that previously Cash had taught in, and, and then we also taught the case study that we worked on together on PNC Grow Up Great. Uh, and over time, though, as I taught that class, the students started to sort of push me to study more entrepreneurial firms. So in the class, when I started teaching it, it was companies like PNC, IBM, Goldman Sachs, Timberland, Western Union. Uh, and one day in class, I think it was around you know, 2010 or so, one of the students says to me, says, you know, we're studying all these large companies and these CSR programs are great, but we should be studying small companies with social missions embedded in them, like B corporations. And I must admit, I was a little embarrassed because I didn't know what B corporations <laughs> were at that time. Oh my God, a student knew more than the yeah, professor. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that happens all year. That's the great thing about the case method. Uh, you, le- you learn a lot from the students. You know, and, I went, and, I, and I went back to my office and I Googled and got in touch with the B Lab people. And then 2010, I wrote the first HBS case on B Lab uh, and really reoriented my class to be much more social. Uh, enterprise and social entrepreneurial focus, uh, and did a lot of other cases on small and small and medium, not so much big companies that had a social mission really deep, like Patagonia, like you mentioned, is a good example. And and so, what was it like writing that first case? And it was, and you said it was about B Lab. So yep. really, you know, trying to understand um, Andrew and Jay's approach. Um, and you, you know, must have had the same kind of experiences I had when I talked about, you know, social impact, social purpose in the day, way back in the day it was cause marketing and cause branding. People looked at you kind of weird. And, and not only that, but we were coming right out of the, the financial crisis in 2008. Uh, and, you know, so I took over the class that I talked, it was mentioning to you around that, maybe around 2007 or so. And I remember one of my colleagues at, at HBS uh, said to me, he said, oh, I'm so sorry you started that class because, you know, with the financial crisis, you know, the companies must have cut everything back and no one's going to take your class. And actually the opposite, like I think what we're finding, you know, now with, with the, all, the, all, the, all the problems with the pandemic and, and systemic uh, uh, racial issues uh, that are becoming to the fore, you know, these are times when actually leading companies actually in many times double down and and show their commitment to society and so so actually so yeah so the course really took off after after them and i really when i reoriented around um around the social uh social social entrepreneurship and social enterprise and what was your feeling in those early days about um the potential for this movement to take hold or were you thinking oh it's just those little tiny companies it's back to you know the body shops and the ben and jerry's and the tom's domain i think that it you know the, the b-lab founders and also there's a third one uh, in addition to jay and, and andrew there's also bart Hulahan. uh and i remember talking to him once uh very early in our discussions um and he said something you know it's a generational play uh, and I think that, you know, if you look at how, like, sort of companies, how they evolve over time, you know, companies actually go out, you know, even the largest companies go out of business frequently, uh, new smaller companies uh, start and grow. And so I think what they were thinking initially was, okay, we'll start this, they might be small now, but these companies 
20, 30 years from now will be, will be very large. And I found actually, I, I was really taken by their vision. And I must say, you know, it's, it was when I started researching them, there were 300 B Corps. Uh, and, and I remember one of the discussions we had had in class, you know, one of the case discussion pastors was, will this work for large companies? And basically the consensus was it would not. And, you know, today's another interesting day. So just today, if you go to the Stanford, today's actually August 13th, I realize we'll probably publish this later. But if you go to the Stanford Social Innovation Review uh, website, the, at the top of the page is um, the cover article in the fall issue, which is the title of um, How the B Corp Movement Goes Big. And it's, it's, it's an excerpted chapter from uh, my book where companies like Danone, Unilever, Laureate International Education, Natura uh, uh, are adapt- or adopting the B Corp model, and many other large companies now are adopting it. Uh, and so, so it is something that has evolved in a way that I think very unexpected to how originally it was envisioned, but a way that large companies now, and Danone I think is the real pioneer in this, are able to um, you know, sort of adopt it effectively. Yeah, that that's what I'm hearing in the industry that they're looking to Denon to really, you know, is Denon the next Unilever? Right. Um, I had some I had some conversations with an ex Unilever person about that. So for those listeners who, yeah, they've heard of B Corps, but they really don't understand it. Can you do a really brief Cliff's notes about what is a B Corp? Yeah. What are you know? How do you register? How do you know if you should register? What are the requirements and such? So a, a B Corp uh, is a company that has a certification. So so it's so you get a certification to be a B Corp from B Lab, uh, similar to Fair Trade or Organic or Lead. And while those are on products, uh, the B Corp certification is assessing the entire company. So looking at the company's you know consumer operations, uh, environmental protection, employee protections, suppliers, community, etc. Uh, and you have to go through a an assessment process, part of which is a survey that you complete about about your organization, its impacts, its policies, its standards, et cetera. You have to get an 80 out of 200. Uh, it's a very rigorous survey. And then if you get over that threshold, uh, you then actually have to go through some verification uh, with B-Lab. You know, part of it is they check a certain percentage uh, uh, of your answers. Uh, a certain percentage, maybe, I don't know, one out of five, they actually do a more full-scale audit. So it is sort of verified and certified. And then uh, every three years, you have to recertify, which is another, you know, difficult, um, difficult process. So, so this is, that's sort of the process of how to become a B Corp. I should also mention there's a second innovation, uh, you know, which I think you were just speaking about with your, um, with your earlier work with uh, Delaware launched uh, at Edelman, is the B lab founders. So, you know, Jay and Andrew and Bart, the folks uh, we mentioned, you know, they realized when they started this change journey that, you know, if they're going to, if you're going to change companies through this certification process, uh, you really need to also change the underlying sort of articles of the corporation. So they, they also work with state governments around the U.S. because corporate law is based in the U.S. state. Uh, and over 35 now, U.S. states, Washington, D.C., Delaware, uh, excuse me, Puerto Rico uh, have adopted this innovation. You know, Delaware is the big kahuna in some ways of U.S. corporate law. So what Delaware adopted a number of years ago, which was sort of the big deal. And then, you know, a lot of 
foreign countries look to Delaware for their law. So Italy now has benefit corporation law, Colombia, Ecuador, Canadian province of uh, British Columbia. So, so benefit corporation is, is a legal type of company like a C Corp or LLC. B Corp is a certified uh, a certification that companies can get. Uh, so they're related, but, but sort of two separate things. So do you have to file, if you get your B uh, lab certification, do you also then have to file for registration if you are in one of those 35 con- uh, states? That's correct. So if you, if, you, if you are certified as a B Corp, one of the requirements is that you be, if, you, if you're able to, if the legal jur- jurisdiction of your headquarters has benefit corporation law, you're required within a certain period of time, it's a number of years to become a benefit corporation, uh, which is a challenge for some companies. Mm. And isn't there also in the bylaws that you have to codify uh, more rigorously what you will be doing? Exactly. So, so, um, so if you can be a benefit corporation, a benefit corporation does that for you. But if you're in a location where there's not benefit corporation, you can change your, um, your corporation um, uh, statements to reflect commitment to, to broad stakeholders, not just shareholders. And from what I understand, I'm not a, a lawyer, but if it's an LLC, it's not that hard to do, uh, harder to do a little bit if you're a C corporation. Uh, and, but a benefit corporation does it automatically. So that's why that's a requirement. So let's, I want to get into like your favorites. You know, we've talked kind of about the structure, but now I want to hear some of those great stories. So I know Patagonia is probably one of your favorites. So do you want to start there? Yeah, sure. And so, then um, let's look, let's talk about some other ones as well. Sure. Yeah. So Patagonia is such an amazing company, um, you know, for uh, so many ways. Uh, so two things that, that really impressed me with Patagonia that I you know write about in the book. So one is... Uh, there, you know, that, that this idea that they have that you should buy, uh, buy better, not more. So you have, you, you know, they don't promote consumerism, you know, Black Friday, they donate all of the, you know, sales or, or potentially profit to, to some of the charities they're involved in, you know, their ads, they encourage you to, to re- reuse, uh, get things repaired. They have this awesome repair uh, center. I mean, I actually, so I have a lot of Patagonia coats and, and, and leases and, and, and clothes. And probably about four or five years ago, as I was really involved in this, I figured, well, you know, the Pat- and I teach Patagonia case, you know, I should really test out their... Um, Good. Their, 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 walk, you're walking yeah, the talk. exactly. Okay. So, so, so nothing, their, their stuff is super high quality, but I had gotten my pockets hooked on a door, door handle and it ripped the pocket. I figured, I'll see, see what happens. I'll send, send it back to them. So. Awesome, They're free. Uh, you know, next year I was having some problems with my snaps. I sent it back. So three years in a row, actually, right in the spring when I was done with my winter jacket, I sent it back to them and you know got it back, and it was you know as good as new. And they're totally right. I mean, it's there's no reason for me to ever get, or I mean, at some point I have to get a new jacket, but at least for those th- things, easy to repair, such high quality material and, and merchandise already that it lasts a long time. So. You know, that's one of the things about Patagonia that I, you know, this idea that one of the few companies that is promoting actually buying less uh, and repairing their products. Uh, the second thing that I think is really such innovative and impactful about Patagonia 
is the advocacy they do. So they are front lines uh, around a variety of particularly environmental issues. I think in the, you know, the recent, in the Trump administration, there's been sort of scaling back of national monuments and they're out there, you know, trying to actually get that reversed in the state legislatures and other places. And so, you know, I think that companies that are out there in an advocacy role, uh, I, that's one of the things that really, uh, really impresses me. And and so now let's talk about some that maybe only a few people know about, but that really, you know, touched you. Yeah. So I don't know. If, so people might probably know about this company, Allbirds. Um, it's, mm-hmm. it's less known than, than Patagonia. I, uh, I wrote something up recently and the person that read it had, hadn't heard of Allbirds. So that's why I, and I know about it because I, I wear their shoes. I mean, a lot of my wardrobe is actually. B corporations. <laughs> You're the B Corp yeah. so, model. So, okay. So, so Allbirds uh, is a company, you know, started out making footwear. Uh, the founders, sort of the idea behind it was, you know, the footwear is an incredibly environmentally damaging um, uh, industry. They have, uh, you know, like the, the leather, the, the processing of leather, the plastics uh, and other materials for the soles. So a real inspiration for the founders was let's make a sustainable footwear. So the top part of the footwear is relatively easy to make sustainable. They made out of wool and trees, but the sole is always a huge challenge. And so, you know, what did they do? They actually uh, went out and did research and development and found a technology based on um, using sugarcane to make a carbon neutral sole for their shoe. And the thing why this is so impressive to me is they didn't say, okay, this is our IP, a key part of our product. They open sourced it and said, you know, anyone can use this because you know what, the more people that use this, the better the world is. And so that's another sort of really telling anecdote. Um, another one, just as a, uh, just because I know people might know this one, that people don't know. So Roshan, have you heard of Roshan? I love Roshan, okay, so you, but you I know, know them. Like, no, no, no. I just judge them um, in a PR awards okay. uh, contest many years ago. They're great. Yeah. So this is the largest telecommunication provider in Afghanistan, a B Corp. There's all kinds of things in the community, healthcare. Uh, you know, and you can imagine in a place like Afghanistan, actually access to telecommunications is in of itself a, a social good. So you know, largest telecommunication manufacturer or provider in Afghanistan is another before. And and can you tell, can you say why there's, what they're doing besides, I, I think that it's, they're, uh, there's a lot of accessibility that they work it, on. Right. Accessibility. I know they're very active in their communities. I think there's some medical work that they're involved in as well. So yeah, so they're really another sort of impressive. So let's talk about another, now let's talk about larger B Corps, sure. because I love to talk about Natura. Yes. Um, I have been very fortunate, again, when I was at Edelman, to actually visit their corporate headquarters. Cool. Um, for our uh, listeners, they have, um, all, they have amethysts and gems in all sorts of places around their factories yeah. Yeah. to give out really good energy. So they're a wonderful company. But they also then uh, they just acqu- they acquired Avon, right? Yeah. So I'm curious about one Natura and being a very large B Corp and how they make that work. So let's do that part, and then how do you use B Corp status for acquisitions to evolve culture? Yeah, so I think that's a great great question. I mean, I think Natura, as you mentioned, 
Uh, and I've actually not visited their 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 headquarters, so you you might know more about them than I do. But the uh, the two things that I find so impressive about them is so one deep commitment to sort of natural, healthy ingredients. Which uh, there's another uh, sort of beauty care company that I've been sort of interviewing a lot recently called Beauty Counter, uh, and and in learning a lot about sort of their the work that they do around ingredients, also advocacy work. And it is really difficult and complex in that to have a well-performing sort of cosmetic and other uh, type of beauty product that uses natural and environmentally friendly ingredients. So, so one thing, Natura has been a true pioneer in that. The second is, you know, their uh, sort of sales model is similar to Avon in, uh, in having small individual, mostly women entrepreneurs that are out there selling themselves in the, you know, in the streets, in other people's homes, et cetera. And this they see as a real way to help sort of help sort of poor, disadvantaged people, give them some skills, give them a way to sort of provide for themselves economically. So that's another reason why. You know, the third reason why, and actually I know I only said two, they've been real, pi- yeah, they've been real pioneers in transparency around sustainability. You know, I think they're one of the first companies that actually integrated their social responsibility reporting with their financial reporting. So yeah, Natura is a true, uh, true pioneer. And as you mentioned, you know, they they first purchased the Body Shop uh, in the UK a number of years ago, and then more recently published or excuse me, uh, uh, purchased Avon, which I think well, it'll be interesting. And you know, I know that they're going to try to go for benefit corporation B Corp certification for for Avon as well, which I would I understand. So I think it's, uh, you know, I think. I think it's a great development, and, uh, and and more broadly, this idea of the use of B Corps uh, around mergers and acquisitions is a whole other interesting topic. Uh, because on the one hand, so one of the case studies that I did a published uh, Harvard case study is on Danone North America's B Corp journey, and 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 they so Natura will be the largest B Corp after I think all the acquisitions uh, settle. Uh, but currently, uh, Danone, six billion dollar uh, subsidiary of the French national, French um, Danone, uh, and they actually went through the B Corp certification process while they were integrating a merger with White Wave. You know, White Wave, which is like Silk and Horizon, uh, Horizon Milk, which I'm sure many people know. And they actually went, and we cover this a lot in the case study. Actually, the B Corp certification process is like a set of standards around management generally. And they found it to be hugely useful as they went through the merge and acquisition because it was like a third party standard almost of how to do things. So you didn't have, you know, the white wave standard competing against the, you know, Danone standard. You had actually, there was this third third party that actually made it really uh, useful. So I think, you know, it'll be interesting to see how the, the Avon organization is uh, integrated uh, in there. And I think you had done some work with Avon a long time ago. Is that right, oh, Carol? we created the Breast Cancer Crusade, so which raised over a billion dollars around the globe, but that was in their heyday. So it'll, it'll be great to see what Natura can evolve them to. I would love to just, um, in the preface of your book, there was a great little statement in here by a French company, and I think it underscores what you're talking about in terms of management structure. And um, it's Chateau Maurice, and you know they talked about why a French winery would want to receive a U.S.-based certification. 
And this is what uh, Robert Eden, their founder, said. B Corp is a great roadmap to entice us and encourage us to take steps within our company to open up more to social and environmental aspects. It also allows us to put in place certain management tools so we become a more precise and more accurate in achieving our goals. You know, often in the early years of the social responsibility movement or the Be Good movement or whatever you want to call it, that there weren't a lot of um, accurate ways to judge the social and environmental impacts. And I, so I think because I remember being, you know, talking with Anita Roddick and others and, you know, Tom Chappell, where we're just doing it because it's the right thing to do. And their businesses were OK, but they were small and they were founders. But I, I, I remember so much skepticism around the larger corporations we were working with because they were looking at the smaller ones and saying, ah, oh, it's just it's the founders. Can you talk about how getting the B Corp certification and the process of recertification every three years and the assessment, how that truly puts B Corp's feet to the fire to be um, accountable and to measure. Yeah, I, I mean, exactly. And I, you know, put feet to the fire is, is a strong way to put it, but I do, I do think that, you know, the accountability, the measurement, accountability uh, and transparency is, is the, core, the core of this in many ways. And it's something that it goes beyond just even, you know, the social and environmental governance factors. You know, it's actually why I titled the book Better Business, because so many of the companies I talked to said, you know, this is not even something that made us better socially and environmentally, but it's actually made us a better business. Uh, and, and so, and just and as I've been, I've been doing a, a variety of new interviews with B Corps, and one of the ones I recently did was with a... Uh, LA-based, really innovative venture capital firm called Fifth Wall, uh, and they are their LPs are all the big property owners, and they're they're working uh, or property developers, and they're working to sort of identify sort of key new technology for the real estate industry. You know, really a, a, a sort of a, you know really top uh, a VC firm, but traditional VC firm, uh, and they, they do have investments in two B Corps, uh, Allbirds and uh, Cotopaxi. And they learned about the B Corp certification and they said, you know what, actually, this sounds like a really smart thing for us to do. Uh, and, and something, you know, we believe in this as person, as individuals, even though we're not a social business and, you know, they're now a B Corp and a number of actually the VC firms that I've talked to uh, the same thing. And the, the many, many, many VC firms have their portfolio companies do it also as a way, you know, not just for due diligence, but also as a way for them to, uh, you know, Sort of learn about becoming a better business. So, so I, I think you're right. I mean, it is, you know, sort of what you measure matters, and and it's and going through this process really helps companies in their accountability and their um, uh, and their just overall way to, to to manage the company. Okay, so let's talk about we've been talking about Natura and and foreign companies. I want to talk about your. I, I think the last time I we emailed, you were off in China. Yeah. Right. So you know, why did you go to China? You spent a lot of time there. I know that you're looking at the nascent evolution of the B Corp movement there. So why did you go there? And then what are you seeing? 
a big focus of my research, obviously, is it's B Corps, but it's within a larger set of work on social responsible business, environmental sustainability, uh, and more generally, just reforming capitalism to be much more stakeholder driven. And sort of a couple of things really intrigued me about China. So one is from the environment situation. Uh, so, you know, people have probably, if they've been to China, they've experienced it or maybe seen pictures. You know, the physical, the environment there, natural environment, air quality, water pollution is really a problem. Uh, and so as me, someone who cares about this, I feel like this is someplace where I can actually maybe make a difference. Uh, I think also one of the reasons why I think it's possible to make a difference is that the government, for the most part, I think it really understands that this is an issue and that it's not something that is sustainable long term. And they want to actually keep growing in a sustainable way. And the citizenry, as sort of in general income has, has increased, people are demanding much better environment. So the government, and you know, it's a very top-down place there. I mean, if the government wants to do something, it can happen. So and it really actually has gotten a lot better in the last number of years. And so, so, so one reason I would go to China is that there is, uh, you know, just a great sort of laboratory to understand how to actually become more environmentally friendly. And I think that, that a lot has happened there. But like you mentioned, I also I also studied a little bit about B corps in China. Uh, and the the one of the Harvard case studies I have is on uh, First Respond, which is the first B corp in China. And I talk a little bit about them in the in the book as well. Uh, but one of the really exciting things there, too, is that because of the limitations on like civil society and NGOs, uh, much of the, you know, the young people that are just passionate about giving back and having a social, uh, you, know, you know, have a social conscious uh, uh, in sort of what they buy and what they do, they actually find businesses to do this. And so this idea of actually have social purpose businesses is, is widespread there because of these limitations on civil society and NGOs. And so that's a whole other really interesting infrastructure and ecosystem uh, with a lot of vibrancy. So another sort of thing that excites me quite a bit. <laughs> so you talked about young people. Yes. And you talk about that the next generations are truly the ones that, you know, they can work for, buy from, advocate for, and that they need to use this agency to truly have an impact. Can you talk about your view of the, you know, the role of young people, um, whether they start a B Corp or they don't, and why you're so um, optimistic about the future? Yeah, so um, I think, you know, one of the reasons, I guess, why I'm so optimistic is that I've seen this through my students. You know, I've been teaching about 15 years now, and just how, how the attention this has gotten over, over the years has just increased dramatically, uh, and people are seeing much more passionate about it. Uh, the students, they make job choices because of these factors. Uh, they buy products because of, of these factors, you know, sort of social and environmental impact. Uh, you know, this came through very loud and clear in, you know, the interviews and research I did for the book. You know, so many of the B Corps, you know, say, you know, they basically don't have any hiring issues because people rarely leave. And when they do, so many people want to work for a B Corp that there's people sort of pounding down, down their doors. Uh, I, you know, I think I think that the sort of conscious consumerism is lagging a little bit. I do think that people are really interested in 
buying from companies that do well. I mean, there's a lot of surveys that that show that. But I think part of it is, and I think this is one of the reasons why I hope the B, B Corp movement will continue to scale, is that you know the issue of authenticity and how you can actually tell if a company's doing good. I think people that's less clear, and so I think that you know as people get to know more about the the B logo and they can tell, uh, I think that that conscious consumerism will uh, will increase. The third point on that around the sort of millennials and Gen Z, uh, and, and this is something even Larry, Larry Fink in his letter about companies being more purpose-driven and, and accountable around that, he's big on accountability uh, around it as well, is that you know these generations are gonna be inheriting like 30 to $40 trillion. And the extent to which the sustainable focused investment, both in the public markets uh, but also in the private markets has taken off. I mean, the fifth wall example, uh, other VCs is an example in the, in the private markets, all kinds of sustainable, you know, mutual funds and investments. So, uh, you know, Larry Fink, the biggest asset manager, you know, head of BlackRock, biggest asset manager is calling for this. So, you know, I think that, you know, all these trends really point in a good direction. Uh, and I do think that the, the these young people are at the leading edge of it. Um, how many of your students feel that they have to start their own company to truly live um, their own values and their view of a more uh, socially and environmentally sustainable world? I don't think uh, so. I think a lot of a lot of students nowadays want to start their own company, without a doubt. And I and I teach you know one of the classes I teach is on social entrepreneurship, so I attract a lot of people that are interested in that. I do think though that. People are also interested in, I think that the rise of the B Corps is an example of this. I mean, so, you know, I know in this last year I was, I was um, teaching some of the students, one is talking to Allbirds, another talking to Eileen Fisher, um, uh, SC Johnson. I, you know, there's a deep connection with the business school and SC Johnson, and they have a variety of sort of longstanding social responsible programs. So, so I think that, uh, I, I, I think that, you know, entrepreneurship is is hot and it's been hot for a while. And I think that it is a way for for individuals to 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 live their values. But I think the comp- that people also feel they can find that in larger companies or smaller B Corp type companies as well. And and so, in terms of what can large companies learn from B Corps, and specifically, I'm going to bridge it to your book because sure. it's a great book. And what do you wish the takeaway for large companies will be when they read your book, since it's all about the B Corp movement? So the B Corp, and why I call it actually the B Corp movement, is because I feel that, that it is not just about B Corps. Uh, so as you mentioned, it, and it sounds like a large number, you know, 3,500 or so. Uh, to me, that actually sounds like a small number compared, compared to how many companies there are in the world. And I Certainly hope the book goes on to influence more than 3,500 companies. Uh, sort of the way the, the thesis of the book in some ways is that, you know, maybe not all companies can be B Corps, but all companies can be more like B Corps. And, and what B Lab and the community of B Corps has done is they've created a series, a, a series of processes, systems, tools where, where all companies can be more like B Corps. This could be the benefit corporation law, which, you know, ten, definitely over 10,000. It's because it's all dispersed across US states and different countries. It's hard to have a whole count, but definitely over 10,000 companies have adopted that, that form. 
uh, I think over 50,000 companies use the B impact assessment to, to manage their, you know, uh, manage their company in some way. Uh, there's this increasing focus from Danone and, and many of the other large companies uh, as, as well. Uh, you know, the business roundtable focus on shareholder, uh, uh, you know, shifting from shareholder primacy to stakeholders. I think, you know, it's a real, you know, I feel bad for those folks. I think that they've been coming under some critique when I think they had good intentions, you know, critique being that, you know, like, how are you going to be accountable for this? Uh, I think that actually a lot of the tools in the B Corp movement will be very useful for many of these large companies to, to sort of put, you know, sort of walk the talk uh, and, uh, and, and actually be a little accountable for what they're saying. And I think that also, you know, it's a big ask to think, you know, a big, you know, like, okay, we're going to become stakeholder driven. Well, like, how do you do that? Well, actually, there is a playbook for how to do it. And it's actually the B impact assessment. Talk a little bit about the playbook. Are you saying the assessment in B lab is the playbook or is there another playbook? Sure. So, so uh, a couple of things. So I guess, and I guess the type of company and where they're starting, there's different sort of playbooks. So I would say in general, if, if, if it was going to be senior managers, uh, I would say something like, um, you know, the, the, the trying to work through the B impact assessment is one way to to uh, to try to reorient the company around stakeholder driven. I think with the examples of Danone, and I don't think it's publicly announced yet, yet but there are going to be some other bigger companies that are becoming on board in a new program um, that B Lab is going to have, uh, and uh, and so. This is, and they're designing new ways for large companies to actually become part of uh, part of this movement. And so, yeah, it's um, so. I, so I do think that 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 that, that the B impact assessment is is in some ways the the playbook. Although, as you mentioned, it's very complicated. Uh, you know, sort of complex to go through. But um, but you know, forthcoming there'll be a few other things specifically positioned against large companies. Uh, ways to sort of start down the path slowly because, you know, I mean, you know, large companies like giant ships, I mean, you can't really turn them very quickly. I mean, you have to do things very, very slowly and, you know, understandably. So how do we, so it's great and encouraging to hear that B-Lab is creating um, some new ways to invite companies in. But again, the challenge for a lot of, you know, up and coming, you know, the hypos in the companies they need to reach the C-suite with these messages. And so what's your, have you seen a situation where, you know, you had this young high potential and they talked to so-and-so and so-and-so, or they sent them, the, your, you know, obviously buy a lot of your books. I got yeah, that. Right. <laughs> but, but are there any other insights about how do you, you know, break in the idea and then nurture it to fruition? Yeah. You know, that's, a, that's, that's a good question. I think, you know, there, there is one example I know of where, uh, you know, I think a couple, I have a couple examples now that I think about it. So uh, these I have secondhand, so I won't, I won't sort of list the company names, but, but they're... Make, Tell make, me the industry. Yeah. So, uh, so one is sort of natural uh, care products, uh, sort of well-known company in that space, uh, uh, older generation we've been doing this forever. We don't need this third party that, to tell us that we're good. Uh, younger generation sort of caught wind of this, uh, became enthusiastic about it. 
and over a number of years was able to finally convince sort of the older generation. So, so and actually that, that company is now B Corp after, after many, many years. Uh, uh, another one, you know, there's actually was a company contest, like, you know, what, what innovation to do, uh, you know, you know, what innovation can we do, can the company do to become better performing? And, and there was a movement among the employees for B corporation status to be actually what ends up winning that internal competition. And it actually, it actually ended up finishing second, but the, but the CEO said, there's so much passion around this, you know, we're going to go ahead, uh, and, 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 and do it. So, so are those two stories in your book? The second story is in my book. So I know, let's talk a little bit about creating a movement because I've been trying to create a movement for a social purpose for 30 years. You, um, the B Lab has partners and you also mention them in the, in the book, others that help amplify practice, et cetera. Um, and I know they talk about uh, the B team. Uh, I know that they're working with sustainable brands. How important is it to have this army of like-minded organizations to ignite and to uh, build the momentum for the movement. Oh my goodness. Exactly. I and mean, that's exactly what's the most essential thing. I mean, I think you can't have a movement without, uh, without the movement <laughs> basically. Yeah. So I, you know, you know, in sociology, which is my PhD, you know, there is a study of social movements and, you know, everything from the civil rights movement, you know, to, you know, uh, women's rights movement, all kind of the more recent, um, you know, g- gay rights, all, you know, uh, uh, et cetera. And there is like sort of coalescing around sort of what the three characteristics to actually have a successful social movement are. So one is, I mean, it's called sort of, uh, you know, the opportunity structure is, but it basically, it's like, you know, right, you know, you need to focus, you need to time things in the right way. Uh, and, you know, so, you know, you can see this now with all the focus on, you know, systemic, uh, you know, racial injustice with, you know, there was this event that catalyzed uh, people and coalesced in, in a way that can actually lead to bigger uh, movements. The second uh, characteristic is how messages are framed. Uh, and, you know, this is something I think the B Corp uh, movement was very successful in. Like for instance, in passing the laws, you know, they're, they're, you know, for the passing of venture corporation laws, they didn't say, okay, everyone should, you know, state you should adopt this socially responsible business. No, it was framed as entrepreneurs should be able to have a choice to incorporate how they want. Uh, and, you know, and, and by that framing, actually, you know, you look at, you know, Mike Pence, uh, Nikki Haley. Uh, signed on to, to, to this law in their states of, of Indiana and South Carolina, Deval Patrick on the other side. So, you know, they've been able to get 36 governors of all political persuasion uh, to, to, to sign these laws because I think of the framing of it, that it's about entrepreneurial choice. The third set, you know, category, which gets to your uh, question, is mobilizing structures. How you're able to actually create uh, and energize a diverse network uh, towards your goals. And this is, I think, the thing that, you know, B-Lab has been uh, the most amazing, you know, in, you know, you mentioned the great, great work they've done in connecting to other, in some ways, parallel movements and organizations. Uh, but the thing that, so I interviewed, I've interviewed probably, you know, 100 B Corps by now, leader, you know, many people, a number of those companies. 
And the commitment and passion of, of these individuals, not just to, to, their, to the movement in general. And so, you know, this is one of the reasons why I end up writing the book is because it's like, wow, there is such incredible passion because it's a movement, because these, you know, this network is energized. People are, um, are, are seeing this as something that is making a difference beyond them. And so, so I agree that this, the, the mobilizing the network of actors is absolutely essential to a, uh, to a, to a movement. It looks like you're building the steam. You're building the momentum. Here we have the 50th anniversary of Milton Friedman's famous essay, It's Only About the Shareholders. Um, you've got Larry Fink, the Business Roundtable uh, at WEF declarations, and you got a, a huge new generation demanding this. So what do you fear is going to get in the way of this truly becoming the way to do business, the new form of capitalism? Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, Complacency and uh, inertia, rigidity is, I think, the you know the really difficult. So I think that's you know I think that that is just natural for businesses to keep doing things the way they do them. And I think that you know, um, in some ways, a lot of change models are, are like tipping point models where you know there's a slow growth and then all of a sudden so something happens and it goes much faster the the growth rate and so i think that in the b lab is approaching this this tipping point uh and you know certainly uh you know one of the my favorite people to talk to about this um is somebody named lorna davis who was the ceo of Danone north america and she she then uh left left that position is now a global ambassador for b lab and working with the large companies um with b lab and she tells me, and I, and I close with a quote from her in this Stanford Social Innovation Review article that I have coming out. She says, you know, 20, 30 years from now, people are going to say, you know, you did business in another way. That's crazy. And this is the way to, to, to do business. Uh, and I do hope that we reach that, you know, sort of tipping point and get to there. But I think that, you know, if, um, if we don't all keep keep through the, the, the pedal to the metal, so to speak. And, and you know, that, that, you know, this is something that inertia and complacency will overcome. And so I do think that, you know, maybe some of these successes, like you're mentioning, you know, Larry Fink and, uh, and Danone, you know, might slow, slow down the pressure uh, around this, because I think that it's something that we need to keep really pushing very hard on. And, and you also talk about just general people that, you know, it's students, it's companies and that people have their wallets. Again, they have their agency. And so, um, you know, you, you, in your book, in your introduction, you say citizens must speak up with their voices. The system cannot change itself. Only we can. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, thinking back all, all the time that I've, I've spent with you, Carol. So I'm from the organizations area. And so I see things much more from the employee standpoint and culture, and, and you are much more from the sort of marketing communications angle, and see much more I think things from the consumer side. And I've learned so much about like like sort of marketing and messaging and ways of convince, convincing consumers around purpose uh, from you. And I think this is where this is the future of what we need to do actually. And so you know I, I I'm not as expert in this as you, so I'd really also look to you uh, to help lead us around this because it's something that it, you're exactly right. I mean, I think if we don't 
convince consumers, uh, this will never have the traction that it needs to. Well, I think more companies doing it right and right. being authentic is going to be helpful. I think that, you know, I, I've got a very simple construct and I talk about people always talk about storytelling. Right. And I'm talking about, no, no, you need to story live. So companies need to be story living. And when they do that, and, the, and, you know, the whole movement now today is about acting. You know, the, 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 the business roundtable, great declaration, but right. the big criticism and the I don't know is are they going to walk the talk? Right. Yeah. And so I think that, again, citizens, and we, we've got a couple big ideas that we're cooking up um, uh, about right. giving, again, more voice and, and sharing more transparency. Um, and, and the great thing that I'm seeing is that, you know, the, the research that we did in 1993, the Cone Roper Report, the first yep. one we did, that said after price and quality and customer service, a company engaged with a cause, you know, someone's going to buy that one. Right. And, and yeah, you know, years and years and years, people said that, but now they're doing it. And they're also, again, demanding. I mean, I know that, that listening to Paul Pullman, and I love to, um, and I had that moment in time I could I worked with him. But he, he's so proud of one of his um, his legacies at Unilever is that Unilever is, in LinkedIn, is the number one most uh, demanded, requested uh, consumer packaged goods company in 50 countries. Wow. In 50 countries because they story... They live their story, and then then they tell great stories. So, um, I, you know, I think that that the book is going to be extraordinary. Tell me, what are your um, what are your dreams for this book? You know, let's say I want to have you back a year from now. Yeah. you're going to do this tour and whatever. We're going to find some great great results. What do you wish will happen from this book, um, the release of the book, and and a lot of people reading it? I think the most direct thing. I think that if large companies like the business roundtable would take the messages of the book seriously. Like I could imagine mm. like, I don't know, some, you know, workshops, seminars, other ways of really trying to diffuse these ideas into large companies, I think is, is one thing that I think that would be, you know, a huge, um, huge success. I think too, you know, general public understanding like what the B logo means in a way that they actually can look for that to know that that lets an authentically good uh, product to, to know what's with, you know, you know, yeah. So back in 1993, people want to understand, you know, sort of the, you know, sort of by a purpose, but actually telling like what is good is, is com complex and hard at times. And so I think that's sort of another thing if the general public can, can, um, can come to understand that they should be buying products based on their values. And the B is one way to identify companies that are socially and environmentally responsible. That would be another, uh, another good outcome. In our show note, we're going to put, you know, information to link to the book. Um, we're going to put, you know, a few of the other things that, you, that you've done so well, your bio and such, Chris. But we want to wish you incredible success. We know you're going to have it. And so I always like to let my guests, you get to end with three insights. Now, the question is, you've got insights for general companies. You've got insights for social entrepreneurs. So I'm going to let you pick who you want to share your gem insights with, and then what are they? 
three insights. Um, I, I, you know, these these uh, are maybe not sort of the deep, deepest insights, but I do think that uh, accountability matters. Uh, and I think this is, and I, and I say this out there to the big companies, um, um, you know, that, that, you know, the business roundtable folks, you know, you need to be accountable uh, for, you know, walk the talk as, as you just said, Carol. Uh, I think too, that, and this is for large companies and smaller companies, that actually doing this, this work around social and environmental and government's re- governance uh, makes the company as a whole better. And this is something that all of, you know, many of these venture capital companies that I mentioning mentioned uh, have come to, come to think. I mean, Larry Fink, Larry Fink emphasizes this in his letters. And I guess the, and I guess the, third, the third one, and this goes back to my, my PhD in sociology, those of you uh, in, in movement building, uh, you can learn from the famous movements of the civil rights movement, gay rights movement, women's uh, movement, latch on to key events, be careful about your framing, and get diverse uh, and powerful networks behind you. And that's, that's really the key to, to achieving a social movement. So I'm going to just say, is there anything else that you want to share with our listeners before we have to say goodbye? Nope, that's it. It was just a real honor, Carol, to be here. I mean, a real sort of hero and pioneer for me in this space. And, and so it's great to, great to talk to you about this. So thank you very much. Oh, it's, it's my pleasure, Chris. And I think that you are as much a pioneer. Um, you are driving this forward in an enticing way, in a great storytelling way. Um, you know, I want everybody to, who's listening to go out and buy the book. Um, I want the folks at Net Impact to make sure that every single one of their members, um, which are, you know, socially responsible MBAs and early stage professionals, um, you know, I'll connect you to a few of my other networks because I think that, um, that every time we take a step forward like this, I mean, really taking your great brain and your anal- analysis and then your storytelling and great writing and putting it into something like this, it really does accelerate um, this movement about a new way of capitalism that is no longer on the fringe, but is mainstream. So um, you're going to be one of the OGs of the movement. <laughs> Um, I just anointed you okay. uh, last <laughs> year at Sustainable Brands. They gave me an anointing uh, next to Paul Hawken and Paul Pullman and, and God Cohen. So um, we all need each other. Thank you so much for being on my podcast. We're going to promote the heck out of this. I can't wait to see uh, September 13 and all of the point counterpoint about Milton Friedman. I know you're going to lead lead this and we're going to have you back. So, Great. you know, nine months or a year, we're going to have you back and we're going to see how many more companies are becoming B Corps. So I just like to say to our listeners, um, you know, go on to uh, please give us a review um, on, you know, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, give us ideas to even to interview other people like Chris and like others who are truly um, pioneers doing amazing work. And at the end, I just want to ask all of you what is your purpose.